and welcome to Comic Talkers, where comics is always the top of our discussion. My name is Brandon. And I'm Barry. <clears throat> so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be pitching a concept for a story that we would like to see this publisher do. So we're going to be doing this with all of our indie publishers. Um, of course, today we're doing what we would pitch to Image Comics, um, and we're going to be doing the same thing for every other one. So this is not so much... Of course, Brandon did this for fun and almost gave me a heart attack when he told me about it. But this, we're not so much going like we would like this writer and this artist to come together and do XYZ thing. We're more looking like this is the kind of story that I think that the creative teams that work for this company would be able to do really, really well. Right. And given their existing books and everything. <laughs> and again, it's like you said, I, I went a little overboard because I was like, okay, who could I see myself writing this? And Let's ask you this, Mary, before we go into what we're talking about, what did you base your concept off of? Let me ask you that. So my concept is based in different mythologies and specifically like medieval retellings of these like late Bronze Age myths, mm -hmm. um, specifically pulling from Irish mythology. Um, so and then Brandon picked. Yeah. So World War. Uh, it's one story, right? Yeah. So it's a supernatural <clears throat> tale of world war one that some people have speculated about but no proof has ever been shown so i kind of want to shine a light on that in a different way um so let's go ahead and start off with you mary um, i know you wanted to go first and pitch your story so let's go over your concept of what you would pitch to image comics yeah so my my big concept uh, this is one of my favorite myths of all time, uh, which is really funny because I mentioned this myth to people and they have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, and it is the destruction of the Derrida's Hostel, which is a piece of Irish mythology that deals with some really interesting themes in regards to kingship and honor and keeping your word and <clears throat> how if you don't do that and you don't uphold your social contract. Um, the kinds of terrible things that can happen around you, especially if you are someone in a position of power who is not upholding their end of an established deal or bargain. Um, so the structure of the Derrick's Hostel kind of focuses around this guy called Conair, who uh, his dad is a bird. Uh, this is not as important as it sounds like it should be. <laughs> uh, his, his mother is like a princess who is essentially kept separate. Uh, she's like, kept in like this weird boxed up house and uh Conair happens uh but while his mother is very early pregnant with him she marries a king um and so Conair becomes a prince and uh one day while he's traveling around Ireland uh he tries to kill some birds and the birds end up being talking magical birds <clears throat> and they kind of stop and they're like hey you can't do that uh, didn't you know it's one of your taboos and these are these things in um, late Ronsage Ireland that like you cannot do these things if it's a taboo like it's like against the law but like for you specifically uh, <laughs> and his mom never told him that he wasn't allowed to kill birds um, but so these birds basically tell him that if he goes to Tara which is this magical singing rock um, and he's naked that he will become the high king of Ireland and he does um, and he becomes high king but they give him all of these uh, they give him all of these rules <laughs> um, 
So, like, reading specifically from the myth here, it says, Thy reign will be subject to a restriction. Thou shalt not go right-hand-wise round Terra and left-hand-wise on Bregia. So, basically, you can't go, like, this way around this place or this way around the other place uh, other way other directions are fine but you can't go those directions around those particular locations the evil beasts of serena must not be hunted by thee and thou shalt not go out every ninth night beyond tara so basically like when you are serving as king you can't leave you can't go out every nine days past this place Thou shalt not sleep in a house from which firelight is manifest outside after sunset and which light is manifest from without. Mm. And three, red shall not go before thee to red's house. No, rapine shall be wrought in thy reign, which is basically like, so in Lake Bronze Age Ireland, literally half of the year is devoted to warfare and it's called like, uh, they're basically waging just war and pillaging each other for half of the year um and that's essentially what he's talking about it's like you can't let them do that <laughs> uh and after sunset a company of one woman or one man shall not enter the house in which thou art and thou shalt not settle the quarrel of thy two thralls so basically if two of the people underneath of him as the high king are having severe issues he can't fix it um and like some of these are like just nonsensical but it's like yeah okay those are manageable some of these are like clearly not in his control um, and others are, like, directly against, like, the nature of what you would think you would want a king to be like. Like, if two, like, lords are having a combative argument, you would expect the king to step in and fix it, but he, he's not allowed to do that. Um, and so what sort of happens is that he has these foster brothers, which are basically, like, his best friends in the whole world. They're essentially siblings, um, that have been raised with him. And their favorite thing, their favorite thing to do is pillage. Uh, and now they can't do that anymore because he's the king. <laughs> um, and he like takes it away from them. And so they sort of set out with this uh, Viking guy. And they're like, we're going to go pillage like France. We're going to go pillage England. It's like, okay, you, you do that over there, just not over here. But while they're doing that, uh, and the Viking is like, we should go, we should go do this in Ireland. And they're like, well, that's what kind of where our brother is. Um, Connor is having a no good, very bad time because he keeps accidentally breaking all of his taboos. <laughs> and in the process, he ends up at the Dergas Hostel, which is like basically a boarding house. Mm -hmm. Um and there's all of these people and all these different kinds of people at the Dergas Hostel. So they kind of are meant to represent like basically every kind of person who existed in Ireland at this time. Um, there's even a centaur there. Um, he's just there. And it takes you through room by room. And it's sort of showing you like exactly how many people are being affected by Connor's actions because he isn't really taking his taboo as seriously as he should be. Because <laughs> uh, he accidentally broke some of them, but then he intentionally broke others. Um, because he's not upholding these things, and there is the sort of sense that, like, in some ways, he might have been doomed from the start to not be able to uphold these. Mm -hmm. um, that destruction just falls upon everyone. And it's just, it's a really 
interesting myth because you get a lot of emotion, <clears throat> not so much from Connor himself, but from those doing the destruction where they are honor bound to follow through on the pillaging because they made a deal with this Viking guy and they can't go back on their word like Connor has. And so it's the combination of these two like forces that are just like, one of them is following their, their word, the other one is not. Which one of them is more at fault for this situation? Mm -hmm. it's, it's just it's so interesting uh and again it's super long it's <laughs> it's a really long myth um it's really also really funny and interesting because like irish uh scribes uh they tend to describe everyone like physically in great detail and then they'll be like yeah there was a sword fight no you don't get to know what happened and there, it just is. Uh, and then in like Norse sagas, and they'll be like, "Yeah, we'll describe the sword fight for eight pages." <laughs> oh, you want to know what, who, who was there? Oh, yeah, I don't know that part. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I do actually. Um, now, now that you you got me thinking about who I would want to do this. Um, I do actually have someone in mind, um, and that's Becky Cloonan. Okay. Um, who is the writer and the uh, artist for uh, what was my number one for Image Books, which is by Chance or Providence. Yes. Um, her art style just works so well for it, as well as her sort of sense of like doom in a narrative. Mm -hmm. uh it would just it would work so well and it would be so interesting to see i think what she would do yes. with a story that is so centered around like the concept of honor and the concept of honor as it applies to nobility uh, i think it would be really neat no that's a great pitch i i'm i'm you know what i'm excited to see that because i think that'd be a great pitch and now who would you have do the art is the question she does both. Oh, she does both. Okay, there we yeah, go. Yeah, she, she's the writer and the artist for uh, what was my number one pick for Image Comics. Okay. And her art style and her writing style works so well together to create the kind of narrative that I would love to see in an interpretation of this myth. No, that's a great... Also, that's, this, is, this is my... You should, you should go read by chance of providence. It's one issue. <laughs> do the, do... I will look into it now. <laughs> Now, how many issues would you pitch for this series? So, ideally, I kind of think between eight to eight to twelve, just so that you can sort of get a little more detail, a little more embellishment. I'm not sure that like we don't really learn much about Conair when he's being fostered, but it would be really good, I think, to have. Like, start with his conception with, like, the bird and his mom and all of that. And then sort of go into his childhood to sort of see, like, how he's not really being prepared for nobility. <laughs> uh, which is the whole point of fosterage in the late Bronze Age. Mm -hmm. uh, where it's essentially, like, 
I realize I've said this word a few times without really describing what it means in this context, uh, where it's essentially, because uh, it's different than in our context, because it's basically like an apprenticeship, but for like nobility. Mm-hmm. So you're you're being like pseudo adopted and you live with this fair person so that you can learn to be more like them, but they are not like your legal guardian. It's like godparents, but like times two. Get a point there. <laughs> that that's an, uh, that's why I said that's interesting how you pitch that, and I I kind of see what you're going with that, and the writer you chose and the artist it, it or the same person, but it's it's actually really interesting where you're going with this story. I think it's going to be fun to read this. And uh, you should also read the myth. I know that you told me that you had heard about it, but you didn't like know a whole lot. Hi, Raven. Right. Um, but there is like. There's so many details in it, too, where, like, his foster brothers see his children are at the hostel, but they are still honor-bound to destroy it. And, like, the grief that they have to go through as they're preparing to attack a place where children that they love are present is, like, there's so much you can do with it. And I think framing it from the foster brothers' perspective is a really interesting way to go about it because like it starts with Conair taking the kingship while he's like actively being mocked by the people there for being young not being able to grow a beard and also being naked uh because he's told to show up without clothes by the birds so i'll go i'll start going over mine um like i said mine's a world war one supernatural story um it is a true event that did well it's true with the battle, but it's unknown if this is what really happened. Now, I'm going over the tale called the Angels of Mons. Now, the and that's what I'm naming it. I'm going to call it the Angels of Mons. Um, I'm pitching it as either an eight-issue miniseries or I pitch it as a 12-issue miniseries. I think it works better with eight because I think at five you could get to like the climax of it and then push forward. Um, I have two sets of authors or art and writers I would love to do for this. Um, of course, I think the best one to do, and it would reunite a great team up from DC, um, Mark Wade and Alex Ross. I think Mark Wade's writing ability with Alex Ross, um, Angel, because of course, what I'm going to focus more on is the Angels, um, which, if anybody does not know what it is, um, and I'll go over kind of the tale a little bit. Um, it's St. George. Um, now, there's other tales um, how what other soldiers saw, but the main one people say it, it was St. George who came down and helped them. Now, I feel like with the angelic aspect of it, I would love to do Alex Ross just because look at what he's done with um, Kingdom Come. That's my main concerns of how he did Spectre um throughout that whole story that's kind of what i want to do with saint charles a little bit but if i can't get that and i don't have enough money to afford them i would go with two a writer that was great with supernatural stuff and marvel and an artist that we just covered through history through comics i would take al ewing as my author um, which anybody does not know is more known for his new Guardians run, but he's also known for Immortal Hulk. 
Um, it, and then my artist is Chris Wesson, who is known to do books like The Twelve and many stories like that as well. I think they could do a great aspect of World War I Soldiers and Angels. Now, let me give you guys a little backstory about what this tale proceeds. Now, of course, everybody knows the Great War, World War I. Um, the British declared war against Germany on August 4th, 1914, which actually sprang British or the British to or Britain um, to mobilize the British Expeditionary Force or the BEF um, into action. Uh, Mons, um, which is a southern Belgian city, um, became a key city to the Allies, um, which the BEF was one of their first areas they protected. Um, and they arrived there on August 22nd, but they were met by German forces right away. Now, German forces on the morning of August 23rd started to bombard the BEF. Now, mind you, at this point, the BEF was 80,000 people. Think pretty much triple their size that they faced up against and more supplies more pretty much more supplies and technology was on germany's side in this case now the bef did fight off as long as they could but it got to the point where they were outnumbered and they retreated now how they retreated is where the tale begins because there is no chance that these guys were going to retreat. Because Germany was just bombarding them and even followed them for days, sacrificing soldier after soldier just to get what they wanted. And many, they, Germany had a lot of casualties during this battle because of how many they threw in. And they had many casualties throughout the war, but let's just not put it out there because. Some of them just were not prepared for what they were going to face. Most uh, of Europe was not prepared. Yeah. But Germany, especially, threw their soldiers at the BEF like nothing. And this was part of an issue that led to a lot of unrest in the city of Berlin. Yes. But that's not really important here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I told it's it's, you know, like I said, I love that how both of us went off folklores or supernatural tales or things like that that it's interesting to see that history can provide great comics now the bef escaped successfully this is the weird part because soldiers speculated how it happened now there are tales that they show that angels came down to save them um part of it um they stated um they were ghostly bowmen there's like lines of them shooting out, and then the arrows would bolden near the end. As they struck um, German soldiers, um, they were known as the famous archers, archers of Agincourt. Um, there are people who, there are some soldiers who believed it was St. George himself coming down to save them. Um, that there was three tall figures that came in to save them as well. Um, I would pitch it as like what you would see in Atlantis is how they pitched them. You see those little totems come to life. That's pretty much how you look at that. Um, but they were successful in escaping when they had no chance in hell to escape. Now, even German soldiers came out saying they saw stuff. And it's really weird how this story tells. Now, how I would pitch it. I kind of like the St. George story. 
Now, how I would pitch to do this story is that St. George is your main character, that maybe he's going up against the gods or going up against a god that he they tell him not to intervene, that he's starting to see this battle. Like, I feel like you can start this story off with Britain declaring war and the BEF being moved out. That's how I pitched the first issue to get you that backstory about what's happened. Or you pitch it as St. George is your main character, the first issue, and how he becomes what he is now. And then you build this story up where he's going against what God has wished. And he intervenes because he was not going to allow his soldiers or soldiers that prayed to him and everything to be taken down. Now, like I said, it's a fast story. That's why I said eight issues I think would work perfect for this. Um, and maybe pitch it where if you want to extend it, how St. George maybe helped other situations. Maybe he helped with the invasion of Dunkirk. Maybe he helped with things like that. And it's interesting to see how this guy would actually intervene with certain battles that Britain was a part of. I would love to see this. Um, like I said, mine's short, not as, as long as Mary's was. But I think it's that whole story of speculation. We don't know what we saw that day. But there must have been something that happened. Yeah, I think, too, um, I really like going with the George angle because St. George is so important <clears throat> to British folklore yes. um, as a protector. And it really plays into this idea of uh, the way that World War I propaganda worked very hard to paint every other European country as a monster. Yes. Uh, and so in a way, it could also be reframed as another way of telling St. George and the Dragon. That would be, like, you could kind of show, like, kind of flashbacks of him as well. You just get, wow. You just gave me a good idea too now. Thank you for helping me expand that story a little bit where I might want to take it 12 issues now. <laughs> but I think it's I think it's an interesting tell. When I came across it, I, I knew right away when we talked about this, like I got to look at folklore and I want to focus around history and some mysteries that are left throughout history. And this was a big one. This was a big one in World War One, And I know, Mary, you know me enough. Like I studied more World War Two but I try to dive a little bit into World War One, a little bit. And this is a tale that nobody knows what happened that day. They just know it was a miraculous. As a, as, on just a completely different note, also going with World War One, this just came to me. It would be really cool to see a comic version of T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland. Oh, okay. Yes. that was... uh, That's my favorite poem of all time, uh, viewers. Uh, I love it. Um and I think getting to see all of what he's alluding to throughout every stanza of that poem mm -hmm. would be so cool. Yes. I agree with you there. Like, it, it's one of those things that when I came up with this idea, I remember I have a buddy of mine I work with, and he loves um, lores. He loves that the mystical creatures like Siegfried and the Dragon Slayer. There's all these that he loves. And so I went to him, I went, okay, let's sit down, let's talk a little bit and see what your ideas are. But I'm trying to focus on folklore, but I want to focus on one of the great wars. And he was just like, oh, that's simple, I got you. 
and he pulled up Angels of Mons. And I've heard of the tale, but I've never really dove deep into it. And so when I, I was like, that actually would make a great mystery one, because how do they know? Or I can make it that St. George is the focus. Where you have, like, I figured, like, the first issue, you've got to set it up a little bit. And then you start getting into St. George a little bit more. Maybe at the end, you have that first of that first issue, you see St. George for the first time. And you see that he's seeing something bad is about to happen. And because it, it's sad because Britain is always put to the point. The Britain's always put to the point where they always struggle at first in the wars. Wouldn't you agree, Mary, on that end? Yeah. But they always come out on top at the end of it. That's why I said maybe even pitch how St. Char- George, or I was almost said St. Charles, St. George um, possibly helped with the invasion of Dunkirk or helped with that kind of stuff or put the tides in their favor, you know? And, and one of the th- interesting things with St. George too is that of course, like the dominant English culture is actually Germanic. Um, so St. George and the Dragon is a story that comes about as like, the Saxon part of Anglo-Saxon is like actively creating a dominant culture within Britain and sort of driving out the actual like indigenous Britons. Um, So it's interesting to see like the back and forth there, but also it does sort of also put like, where does George fall? Yeah. That's where I'm still learning to try to figure out how I want to put that in. But I do want St. George to be the main focus, where it's not so much we get the soldiers' interpretations, but we actually get to see St. George's, or yeah, St. George's perspective of how he would look at this. Um, but yeah, this is this is fun. I'm not going to lie. This is one of our quicker podcasts. Think of this as like a forgotten hero segment um, where we go over characters and stuff and what we would pitch. Um, at this point in time, I think it's a great way to end this podcast. Um, what was it? Let us know what you would pitch to Image Comics. What would, if there are folklores or tales that you would like to experience that Image Comics could bring to light, um, let us know in those comments. What do you think about our pitches? How would you change them up? How would you pitch it to them? Um, even if you want to draw some fan art for us, we, we want to hear it. We want to see it. We, we want to see how you would do our fan art for this. Um, check us out on Spotify for Podcasters, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts for other great comic book anime content. Um, also, we have a YouTube channel. Subscribe, hit the like button, hit the bell notifications. So you never miss an episode. Um, as well as check us out on Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram at Colin Talkers. And without further ado, my name is Brandon. And I'm Mary. May comics always be the top of your discussion.